the chief of the Mossad, two generals, and the prime minister. Obviously, it's important. We are the SpyFi guys, and this is Munich. Welcome to the SpyFi guys, where we cover spy fact, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Zach. And I'm Christian. And today we are covering part one of Munich, directed by Steven Spielberg. Yeah. A director you may know, and starring Eric Bana and James Bond himself, Daniel Craig. Woo! Did you yeah, know so that he was in that when you started watching? I did know this, because I mean, once he became the new Bond, I was like, all right, what other movies has this guy been in? And I watched it. I think because this came out what 2005 or so. Yeah. So I like this is before Casino Royale came out. So I was just like trying to give a hint of all right, how do how's this guy gonna play Bond? And so I did watch this, but I feel like I watched it at 2 a.m. So I don't really remember much from the first time I watched it. Well, good. Well, then there's more to pick up this time. Yeah, definitely. So many years after it came out. So this movie was nominated for Best Picture and four other Oscars. So this. And last week's are probably the, the you know, biggest critically acclaimed films we've ever covered for the podcast. And they're two of the darkest and most depressing. So coincidence? Maybe? <laughs> Maybe the critics like that stuff. As always, and we have not mentioned this before, but we will be going through the movie and it will be spoiler filled. The movie is now very old. It's now 15 years old. But if you haven't seen it and you don't want to get spoiled, then you should stop listening now. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be waiting for you. Mm-hmm. All right, so shall we get into the plot summary? Yes, please. All right, so here's the synopsis. Based on the true story of the Black September aftermath about the five men chosen to eliminate the ones responsible for that fateful day. And all, So that's from IMDb, and already there's a mistake. Oh, the event was not called Black September. Oh, that's did, true. It, yeah, you're it right. did take it's... place in September, and there's a documentary about it called One Day in September. Mm-hmm. But Black September was the name of the organization that did it. That's what I thought. All right, all right, yeah, okay. But they also call them something else in the movie, don't they? Uh, yeah, they use a few different names. And okay. uh, we will, if it comes up, I will do what I can to help sort it out. Okay. So is there anything else you want to talk about before we got in, before we go? I don't, well, I don't think so. No, no, I don't think so. Let's jump into the analysis of the movie. Take it away. So we start with some, your, wait, refresh my memory. Is it, which of these two phrases do you not like? Based on true events or inspired by true events? I hate inspired by true events. Ah, all I right. hate so this it. Has, <laughs> this has our inspired by real events. It's back. And this movie is <laughs> ridiculous because it's all, I mean, I don't want to say it's all real, but it's this is history, okay? Especially the Munich massacre. That's the very beginning. Everybody knows that it. it's history. It's a movie about it. Why would you say it's inspired by real events? Just say based on a true story. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, okay. So I'm gonna get, provide a slight counterpoint to that. I mm-hmm. definitely. I don't know why this is, but I actually, I did not know about these events, at least the the Munich uh, massacre, until I saw this movie. Okay. You know, that's fine. I mean, this isn't, this is history and it's mm-hmm. sort of like. And I'll, I'll be honest, I'm surprised I had not heard about this when I, when I saw that, you know, when I saw it the first time and I realized, wow, I've never heard about this. And so this is not, because it's so recent history, like, like in the grand scheme of things, it's unfortunately not something that's always taught unless you're maybe come from a Hebrew background. So that's interesting. So I have heard 
that for people who were alive in 1972, it was a little bit like the JFK assassination, mm. where it was major news around this around the world, and people would remember where they were when they heard about it. Mm, okay. But maybe that's because I was Jews and my family. So if you have no Jews in your family, you may want to ask older people if they remember this. I'd be yeah. curious to know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So certainly the image that's in the movie of the st- of the guy with the stocking on his head, the mm-hmm. terrorist with the stocking on his head, that is famous. Hmm. Okay. And that's like the image of the Munich massacre that everyone uh, everyone mm. will sort of associate with. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, so we start off well. So we start off with some vocal chanting. I'm like, mm, okay, I'm, which I'm like always for me when movies start with that sort of vocalization, just vague vocal, not not specific language. I'm like, okay, I'm not sure where this is going. And then we cut. We start with you know a man who's trying to climb a fence, and there's a group of them who are you know, like mm-hmm. all Middle Eastern looking, and they encounter some Americans. Or at least people and, who speak English. True, true. Well, I mean, from the swagger and from the accent, <laughs> I kind of assume that they're American athletes. Yeah, I think one of them even says something like, hey, hey, buddy, or hey, dude, or, or something along those lines, which is very American. And so the Americans assume that they're also, that these, the group of people there is also, are also athletes. And they're asking, you know, where are you guys from? What's your event? Realize mm-hmm. they don't speak English, but they see that they're trying to climb over this fence. So Americans are, you know, let's help them over the fence. Yeah, let, let's help them over. And yeah. so this takes place outside of the Olympic Village, as mm. is revealed in the next scene when you have a reporter ta- speaking from Munich, 1972. Mm-hmm. And so the men have some bags with them. They start to change their clothes. And then we also see that they have AK is in their bag. And they're also speaking Arabic, so we can fi- kind of figure out what their background is. Mm-hmm. And so with their guns out, they open, they're like open to someone's door and point the gun at them. Mm-hmm. And the guy inside manages to keep the door shut. And from the poster on the wall, you can see that they, there's, you know, there's a poster with Hebrew letters. So, you kind of, so in my mind, that's what I connected. Oh, these are the Israeli athletes. So you really like had no idea what this was about I mean, when you started watching well, it? I, I knew it, but I didn't necessarily know what, like what, because I, I have, I don't, like I said, I don't really know too much about this event before I saw them, saw the movie the first time. And, I mean, that's fine. I was just wondering. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't necessarily know who was breaking into where and what's, what was the deal. So I didn't, yeah. So that, so for me, it was like, all right, trying to pick up whatever clues I could see to figure out, okay, what's going on. Okay. Yeah. The men get through the door and then we cut to this newscast where they talk about how Israelis have been taken hostage. Mm-hmm. The terrorist group is called Black September, as we said earlier. Yep. And then they've made demands for Israel to re- release 200 Arabs or the hostages will be killed. Yes. They also refer to the people they want released as political prisoners. Mm, right, right. Not just random Arabs. Obviously. Right. And they also say revolutionaries of the world unite mm. as part of their demand. Um, we also see at this part a shot of the guy with the stocking on his head, mm-hmm. and they both do the famous image on the TV, and then they show it on TV while also having an actor pretending to be him on the balcony. Mm-hmm. And then there's also a shot of an old woman who is later revealed to be Golda Meir in shadow. Yeah, and actually, so I didn't know who that was. So I had to actually look that up, so, which was mm-hmm. interesting. But we'll talk about that more later. So we also have, like you know, shots of people around the world watching these newscasts. And so, yeah, like you said, it was a global event, really. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it takes place at the Olympics. That's the idea. Yeah. But we also see the media interfering with counterterrorism operations. Mm-hmm. So we have news reporters who are, like, talking about how their security men 
dressed in athletic uniforms who are going to attempt a siege, and it gets called off because they say that terrorists are watching this exact news feed inside the room. You know, that actually happens a lot, and not just uh, in Europe. It happens mm-hmm. with criminals, is that news media will pick up on what the police or military are doing, <laughs> and then they watch it. So things haven't changed that much. <laughs> so yeah, so the terrorists demand to be moved with the hostages, and I'm a little fuzzy on some of the details here, because like, and it's not until later that we get more details about what happened. Mm-hmm. So, and it's really just, so you're at this point, you're only learning from what the news is telling you, which is interesting. So you're seeing it along with basically the global community. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be moved to an airport. There's a battle at the airport. There's an explosion in the background. And then we're told that the hostages are safe and that all the terrorists are dead. Right. And then we get a counter report saying, no, that's not true, that there were 11 hostages, that two were killed in the room and nine were killed at the airport. So then the reactions, we see reactions from people around the world. Mm-hmm. So... At first, we saw people in what presumes to be an Arab country, and they're very happy that the terrorists are doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Then we see the Israeli Israeli people being sad that the hostages are dead. But then we also see Arab people being sad that the terrorists are dead because mm-hmm. they had families, too, who didn't want them to die. And this is the first time that the 9-11 parallels jumped out to me. Yeah. So I don't know if you did a lot of reading about the movie, like, about, like, commentaries about it i did a little so i remember when it came out people were saying that it's very and this becomes clearer later in the movie that it's Mm -hmm. a it's it's not a movie about operation wrath of god Mm -hmm. in response to the munich massacre it's actually a movie about 9 11 and it's Mm -hmm. it uses these events as like a a metaphor for it and we can talk about this on spy fact versus fiction if you'd like but a lot of Israeli commentators that I read didn't like it because they're like, mm-hmm. it's not, it's really not the same struggle at all. But right. in, in this case, it's, we get media confusion and we get conflicting reports about what's going on. Huh. Wow. Okay. It really jumped out to me when, pe- when it shows all these people glued to their television sets. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can definitely right. see that. Yeah. 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 And just to talk on that briefly, I know Spielberg when he made this, because this is, what, 2005, so probably made about 2004 or so, this and War of the Worlds were really Spielberg's react to 9-11, because I I watched, there's a good Spielberg documentary out there, I think it's on HBO, where he talks about this, and how this, yeah, those two movies are really his reaction to 9-11. And you might not see it as much in War of the Worlds, but there's iconic imagery in there about, you know, when he, where Tom Cruise is running, and he has all this ash on him, and it's ash of other people. And just trying to like brush it off him. So it's, yeah, so it's interesting. Like, cause I've, I saw that for the first time recently. And just compare, like, con, you know, taking those two and then bringing it into that 9 11 context is pretty interesting. Well, they're definitely better than Man of Steel. <laughs> but I also, and I also feel like, oh. although you like Tom Cruise, I definitely feel like Munich is better than. Oh, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that would be, it's anyway, compared. I'm saying that they're it's very, interesting to look good. at Spielberg as a filmmaker. <laughs> taking his, you know, thoughts about 9-11 mm-hmm. and putting it into the movies. Yeah. Well, it's, it's nice to see you can go beyond just just uh, E.T. and Indiana Jones and do serious movies, too. And al- although I, I'm not sure how much I agree with the political statements he's trying to make in this movie, right. mm-hmm. it is a good movie. So. Yeah. All right. So going back to the movie, bodies are being brought mm-hmm. back to Jerusalem. And there's a really... I like this overlay. So you have... Um, on one part, you have the news uh, reading the names of the victims. 
Right. And on the other side, you have the Israeli government reading the names of all those involved. And there's a nice parallel because there are 11 names each. Yep. But I was wondering if they're trying to make a political statement with that or whether it was just just a juxtaposition. I think that, it's a nice juxtaposition. Made. I don't think it was necessarily that, you know, they're equal in those ends, but it's just that I thought it was a cool just, juxtaposition. Yeah. yeah. So the, the guy watching the funeral is our main character, Avner, played by Eric Bana. Mm-hmm. And him and his wife are watching it. And his wife is like, I don't want you to get involved. So at this point, what is his job, actually? Is this when he's doing uh, the airports, um, the air marshal stuff? So for those of you who tuned into our Microdot episode last mm-hmm. week, we talked a little bit about Avner's positions in Mossad before the events of the movie. <laughs> Christian, I can't answer that question. He was in the Mossad a little bit, and he did right. his jobs, and he got out. Oh, he was like, I'm, he was like, I'm raising a kid mm-hmm. and I have a wife and I don't want to do it anymore. But then he got brought back. They like uh, asked him to do this. And I he, see. okay. He, he's an interesting character in the book, which we will talk about as buyback versus fiction. And his motivations are interesting, but, ba- okay. but basically he sort of wasn't doing anything. He like had a job and he want, he had a job with the airline. He kind of liked it, but he, it was sort of wasn't going anywhere. So the money helped him, helped him make the decision. Gotcha. Okay. So and then we go, go to the Israeli government uh, discussing what to do with the 11 names. And there's, you know, a good quote here that I liked, uh, forget mm-hmm. peace now. We have to show them we're strong. Yeah, it's forget forget peace for now, which is like mm-hmm. very, I know we're going to keep up bringing up like war and terror 9-11 parallels, mm-hmm. but this both both this so that's quote by Golda Meir, who is the Prime Minister mm-hmm. of Israel all the time. And right. I also quote by her, you don't we have to tell these butchers, you don't want to share this world with us, we won't share it with you. Mm-hmm. A right, lot right. of tough talk. Mm-hmm. And maybe if you're like fired up, you're like if you're like Daniel Craig's character, you're like, hell yeah, let's go kill mm-hmm. him. Right. But, but it's more like sad because the point the movie's trying to make is you can't kill your way out of a political problem right and then also in this scene i don't know if you remember it but one of her generals points out we have responded we hit airstrikes mm-hmm. on terrorist camps and killed 60 people right and the um the prime minister basically replies that no one pays attention to what's happening in the camps well on the same time yeah. and this is war on terrorism too is that you you kill osama bin laden everyone notices you kill 60 of osama mm-hmm. bin laden's followers nobody mm-hmm. cares because he'll just get 60 more or 600 mm-hmm. more yeah. And and that's the logic behind going after the organizers rather than just bombing people. Mm-hmm. We have and we have Nur, you know, walking outside his home and there's someone waiting for him and said, get in, you know, get in the car, we're going mm-hmm. to Jerusalem. And in the back seat is General Zamir. Um, and he and Abner's like, Oh, I remember you. You you know, you swore our unit into Mossad. And he's like, Funny, I don't remember you. But I, you know, of course, I know who your father is, and this is the first hint that we get that Avner's father is some like famous hero. Yeah, it's more found in the book. The whole father stuff, I didn't like. Okay. It's like there's enough going on in this movie. <laughs> there's like so much stuff, and we don't even meet the father, but they talk about him all the time. Mm-hmm. So if I were them, I would be like, cut ten minutes off the movie, get rid of all the father stuff. It's not important. Mm-hmm. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, well, I guess it didn't really matter. Like, I think it was good. Like, I, I think it was interesting just to compa- compare contrast him and his father, at least from what, you know, in this first part that we hear about his father, that he also wasn't around when Avner was growing up. And mm-hmm. so, you know, Avner 
doesn't want to do that, but then at the same time, he has to balance that between what he thinks is right and what needs to be done for his country. So we'll table the father stuff. I'm going to have more to talk about that. All right. So Avner Rogers got into this meeting with the prime minister. And again, like we said in our intro quote, the you know, chief of the Mossad, two generals and a prime minister. Yep. And Gold, so asks, uh, Gold M. Meyer asks, how is your father and serves him coffee? Mm-hmm. Which I can't imagine any other head of state doing that. And so this is where we find out that uh, Avner used to be the bodyguard for the prime minister. Mm-hmm. And apparently he was one of her favorite bodyguards. And he also says he used to guard tourists on LL jets, which for those of you who have seen in the Microdot episode, he did do that. Mm -hmm. And so they ask Avner to undertake a mission. It's a top secret mission. He can't talk to anyone about it. May take years. Very dangerous. And so they, you know, they don't really give him too many details at this point, but they tell him that you have, you know, one day to decide whether to accept the mission. Which I thought was interesting, you know, in your spy movies, it's usually like a, all right, you can accept this mission now, and you don't really have, you know, time to think it over. That's true, but he doesn't want to think about it. So, like, you're going to be away for a long time, you won't be able Mm -hmm. to tell anybody, not even your wife. And I do like how that general is like, you have one day to to decide, and if it takes you more than a day to decide, you won't ever be able to decide. (laughs) I appreciated that. Yeah. And then we get introduced to Jeffrey Rush. Ephraim. Yeah. Playing a Fryam, yeah. Or a Fryam, excuse me. <laughs> he has some interesting insights about Mayer. So Mayer said earlier she didn't go to the athlete's funeral because her sister died. Mm-hmm. But Ephraim says she didn't go because she was afraid she would be booed by Israelis who wanted, who thought that she made the wrong call about refusing to negotiate with the terrorists. Mm-hmm. So maybe she's not as tough as uh, as she appears. And this is actually interesting because that's also not something that we really saw we didn't we didn't like like i said before we we saw it all from the you know the viewpoint of the newscast and people watching newscasts so we don't see nor know that um chief didn't neg- decided not to negotiate with the terrorists at all and anything like that so that, that was just an interesting drop line to me yeah well it, it has ramifications through to today of course mm-hmm. i mean these the israelis for a long time had a no negotiate with terrorist policy but that has changed oh really? yes wow yeah, so, and then he also, so Ephraim also thinks that Avner will say yes because he didn't ask any questions about the mission. Interesting. So then yeah. and our, ne- our next scene is a sex scene. Avner and his wife lying in bed, expositioning more about his parents and his background. So it's your, uh, it's your classic Game of Thrones sex position, as they called it, where you have a love scene, but also you have uh, them giving out expo- exposition. But, but it's like exposition- done. It's yeah, that's true, but it's like exposition that doesn't even like matter because again, like his parents, like really, I don't feel like they're that important to the story. I mean, it, if if you're talking about the spy story, not necessarily, but if you're talking about Efra, not Efra, uh, Avner's personal journey, then it may be more relevant. Yep, fair enough. Um, okay, let's see. So we find out that you know his mother abandoned him when his when his father was in prison and that well she she didn't so what's the yeah she didn't abandon him so so there are some jewish terms here that i didn't really get so you can explain them to me so where did she She lived him in a kibbutz which Which is like a it's like a communal farm okay all right 
Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, it, it, it's like a summer camp that is not just in the summer. It's like all the time. <laughs> okay, yeah. So and, that that's saying that she abandoned him is harsh. Then yeah, his She didn't like leave him on the side of the road. It's more like that's what it sounded like to me because I don't know what that is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, she, it's more like sending him off to boarding school, which certainly okay. people who have been sent yeah. to boarding school feel like they're abandoned. Mm -hmm. Right. I understand that he might feel like he's abandoned, but but the thing the, is, it's not even him saying that; it's his wife saying, calling it that. Is and his, he's trying to defend his mom. But I like this, you know, this notion that his wife says that, you know, because, you know, his mother abandoned him in her words, that Israel has taken the place of his mother in his heart. That's that's like some deep psychoanalysis there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so then the next scene, he accepts because we see him with Ephraim and they're preparing. Mm -hmm. Doing paperwork, and he's so he's told that you've resigned from Mossad, and that you, uh, so that there will be no blowback on Mossad if you know that anything goes wrong, and you you've given up your pay, your benefits, and your pension, and you have a new contract to say that there is no contract. Right, <laughs> and I then like. later he says you've signed away all your dental insurance, so take care <laughs> of those teeth. <laughs> yeah, but so he's going to get paid through a Swiss bank, and his uh. He, so his wife will get money each month, and so will all the other members of his team from the Swiss bank. Mm -hmm. And he said there was, what, uh, $250,000 in there, and you take out money, and we'll replenish we'll it, it back up. Yeah, but keep receipts. That part was ridiculous. So, <laughs> so there's this old guy who's like, bring me the receipts. You're not working for the Baron Rothschild. You're working for Israel. It's a small country. Mm -hmm. So... I don't appreciate this because, you know, it brings oh. up this stereotype about Jews and money. I, see, I never read it as that necessarily, but I can see I can see that stereotype being brought up. I just thought of it as more of a bureaucrat, as not, as being like, this is a bureaucrat who's dealing with money rather than some, you know, an espionage agent who's thinking, I can spend, should I spend all this stuff? I mean, he's absolutely a bureaucrat. Yeah. But the thing is, and this is a preview for Spy Fact versus Fiction, fiction yeah. but those the, the, that dialogue is taken almost verbatim from the book. So Steven Spielberg and his scriptwriters did not just oh, make okay. it up. Funny. It was from reality. It's just unfortunate. <laughs> and then also he's like, he's like, I understand you have a special job. You keep the, I want those receipts as they like walk out the door. <laughs> yeah, so Avner's told that he's going to stay in Europe until all 11... Uh, Names on the list are killed. Only mm -hmm. kill them if they're in Europe, not in Arab countries, and not in Eastern right. Bloc, because we don't want to piss off the so Russians. It's, it's really just 11 men in Western Europe that you're mm -hmm. taking on. And he says, no contact, no help from headquarters. Mm -hmm. And so to use guns if needed, but bombs are preferable. Mm -hmm. Avner asks, why me? It's because he's not known. Mm -hmm. And he speaks German, and he's accustomed to being in Europe, which is part of his background. Mm-hmm. Ephraim says also no bell hops, no killing of civilians. Mm. It's trouble they don't need, even leaving aside the moral implications of it. So next we get Avner on a plane to Geneva, and as he's looking out the window, we get pretty much the the more extended flashback of what happened in the attack. Mm -hmm. You see it in much more brutal detail. You know, one of the um athlete Israeli athletes gets shot in the face, and another one is kill uh, i look like so it was unclear to me which ones like because they get, a lot of them get shot at but i'm not only i see but i'm not wasn't sure like because they say two of them were killed in their hotel room or their apartment but and i know there's one who like grabs a knife to fight back and gets shot mm -hmm. does the one who gets shot in the face not 
die? So they're going to keep doing the flashbacks. Like okay. in the TV show Arrow, they keep doing flashbacks uh, throughout okay. the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So more will be revealed on that. So I won't give it away. Okay. But, All right. Because there's a little, like, again, because we're receiving it in this fashion. I wasn't always, like, I think, but maybe maybe that's not as important as the emotion that Spielberg's trying to provoke from you at this point. Yeah, exactly. Also in this scene, why is Abner sitting in the middle seat when there's two empty seats next to him? Maybe he just doesn't want anyone. I don't know. The mind boggles. <laughs> I mean, if you have that empty row, yeah, why not? You can, you have more arm room both ways that way. I wonder if in the 70s they didn't have assigned seating on planes. So you could just Maybe. sort of sit wherever you felt like it. And he felt like it. He also, in this part, he takes his re- wedding ring off. Ah. Oh, I didn't catch that. That's interesting. Yeah. I think. I saw him like playing with his wedding ring, but I don't know if he took it off or not. Uh, he goes to Milan, Italy, and gets his money, and then he has dinner with his team. Was it Italy, or was it? I thought it was a Swiss bank. Well, okay, I don't remember which bank he gets it from, but he eventually okay. ends up in Italy. And okay, and yes, that's where, that's, he, right. that's where he meets his team. Yeah, so we, so we have a meeting at the team meeting at the safe at a safe house, and Avner's cooked for him. So I, I think this is the first hint we get that he's good at sort of cooking. Mm-hmm. And so Steve who's played by Daniel Craig, apparently joined Mossad like 10 minutes ago. And he's like ready words. to mess some people up. He's like, mm-hmm. he's like, we're, we're here to kill the guys who play in Munich, right? Let's kill him. Let's kill him. Let's kill him. <laughs> so, uh, and then we have Robert who makes toys and bombs. That's right. We have Hans who says he like purchases sofas. So we're not really sure what his role is, but we later see that he's sort of like the accountant for the team. Mm-hmm. And then we have Carl who he says, I just worry, but we find out later he's like kind of a cleaner. He No, not kind of a cleaner. He is he, a cleaner. Yeah, That's yeah. his job. Yeah. And he looks like Alfred Molina as like a horror movie villain. Well, you know who that is. He looked really familiar, but I didn't look him up. So he is Mance Raider from Game of Thrones. He's also Aberforth Dumbledore in the Harry Potter movies. And he was the bad guy from Justice League. Okay, I remember the one, the first one you said. Yeah, the Game of yeah. Thrones one. I remember the Game of Thrones one. Yeah, that, his name is, uh, what is his name? Uh, Siren Hines. He just has one of those faces where he's like super recognizable as he's a bad guy. in a lot of stuff, yeah. So the, the team is, they talk a little bit about how they're assassins and, mm-hmm. and, and what that means. And this is when I sort of realized that this movie is probably the closest we've come to a real life James Bond movie. Oh? Well, well so... People have pointed out to me that James Bond does a little bit of spying, but he mostly goes out and kills all those oh, yeah. spies. True. true, yeah. So that's what they do. Oh, okay, all right, I can see it. Uh, Except without the, without Suave and without gadgets, or they do have gadgets, but all of their gadgets are just bombs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, Um. so then Avner meets with his friend Andreas. Yeah. Good contact from, and he, uh, from Frankfurt. Yeah, so that's someone apparently he kind of grew up with, mm-hmm. sp- hasn't spoken to in 10 years since apparently Avner found him in bed with his girlfriend. That's right. So they meets up with uh, him in this like busted old mansion, looks like, with a chandelier in the middle of the place. Like, w- wondering, like, what's the deal with this place? It's right out of like rent. Andreas's new g- girlfriend is. Uh, I don't have her name down, but she's, she's like an anarchist style. Like, yeah, she's making this speech about like communism and then revolutions and all that stuff. And Avner uh, so, is like, I'll just get, give Avner offers. If she's like, I'll give you money and you find me people. 
Mm -hmm. And this is where he gives his cover story that he's working for, that he's working for some Americans who want to find these people. And apparently they buy it, which is mm -hmm. like ridiculous. But I do like the joke here where yeah. she's like, you sure you work for Americans? He's like, of course mm -hmm. I work for Americans. Washington, Jefferson, Franklin. <laughs> pointing at the dollar bills as he, as he says. As it. he works for. So Avner and Andreas are meeting with, meeting with someone else in a cafe who mm -hmm. can help find the names and Avner is giving his giving the names that he wants to look for and and Andreas is like concerned and thinks that Avner's trying to join the PLO. You can also say at this point that all the Arab terrorists aren't hiding. This was a big success for them. So mm -hmm. they are they're recruiting and they're acting and this means now is the time to to try to get them. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Andreas is like, dude, this is too hot. This is too much for me. I like playing at revolutionary. I don't want to actually be one. He mm -hmm. leaves. And the new guy, I don't think we ever learned the new guy's name, is like, I like you, you pay well, and you don't make speeches. He charges 60K per name, and one of them is waiter is here in Milan. Mm -hmm. And no, Avner says... I thought, okay, fine, maybe they're in Rome. I don't remember. I just know they're somewhere, I just know they're somewhere in Italy. Okay, so, yeah, yeah. Okay. So he's like, okay, I'll pay you, but I want receipts. So that, that joke comes back. I don't even, I, I assume it was a joke. Like, I don't even know how you would get a receipt from like your pseudo criminal intelligence contact. That, yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> that definitely seems like fiction to me. Yeah. So back at the safe house, Robert draws a short straw. And so we find, find that that means that he's going to go help Avner take out the first guys out while Zweiter. Yes. And so he's, uh, Zweiter is in Rome. He's doing a reading. He's apparently translated the uh, 1001 Arabian Nights into mm -hmm. Italian. And so as he's doing this reading, Steve is in the car nearby with a girl. And this was unclear to me. Is, she, is the girl repeating what Zweiter's saying because he can't hear it? Or what is he, what's she saying? No, she's, this is great. She's oh. talking. She's yeah. just talking. And oh. when she stops talking, Steve is yeah. like, keep yeah. talking, keep talking. Right, right. And the idea oh, is, is just cover. Okay. Yes. Okay, that wasn't clear because it looked like she was like reading his lips or something, saying what he's saying, but I wasn't I was really clear. Okay. Yeah, because they were both talking at the same time, but the idea is like two people in a car is less suspicious than one guy one in a car. Just watch. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> so as Zweiter leaves, Steve follows, and the rest of the team is nearby. And Zweiter uses a phone in a grocery store, and Carl is watching him as he, you know, goes home. And then Avner and, Ro and Ro Robert sneak into Zweiter's apartment before he gets there. And as he's about to get into the elevator, he, they get them at gunpoint. Yes. And, and, and this yeah. scene was like a David Lynchian like horror movie. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, this whole part, like like when he's calling the using the the uh, mm -hmm. the phone, and then it cuts to Carl like staring at him through the window. There's a lot of good tension in there that's building. Yeah. Yeah. So then, and then when they come down the stairs and like it's all in shadow, that felt mm -hmm. very like surreal mm -hmm. to me. Yeah, uh, they ask him if you know if he is uh, a Wiles writer, and they said, do you know why we're here? And speaking, he's like speaking to them in German. We don't get a translation of what he's saying in German. And they ask questions again. And then Robert's like, "What do mm -hmm. we do?" And then he's like, and Avner in this moment is like panicking, and Robert just starts shooting, and so they both shoot him. Yeah. So a couple of things about this, mm -hmm. based on my reading, this is the first time that Avner killed somebody. That that makes sense, and, and that's that's how I read it too. Like the fact, or at least 
in this sort of scenario. He may have, as a soldier, he may have, you know, shot people from a distance or something like that. But in this sort of cold blood uh, scenario, mm-hmm. this, may, this is probably the first time he did that. Also, when they pull their guns, it's really slow. Mm-hmm. Dave, their American trader that we talked about, and <laughs> Mike Rodriguez said would be very disappointed. They take like mm-hmm. their a sweet attorney to pull their guns. And Avner asked him twice, are you Wiles' waiter? And, Ro- mm-hmm. and Robert's like, you already asked him that. You already asked mm-hmm. that. You already said yes, and so we got we to gotta shoot him. They leave, and this getaway car that Steve's driving, and then Carl comes in and cleans up, like, t- gets the b- bullet shells. Like, I don't, I don't even understand how that worked, because the shell was, like, in the middle of, like, this <laughs> blood and milk pool. I'm mm-hmm. like, how did he, did he, like, reach all the way over to get it? I don't know. I don't know. But, so also, there's more. They, I think again, like many things in this movie, it's more about atmosphere and feeling than it is about um, the actual thing. That's yeah. fair. So also, they when they make the script, they like sprint to the car, which I thought was interesting, and then they get in there like we shot it eight times, and it reminded me of Michael Collins giving his people uh, grief for riddling their targets full bullets. <laughs> right. Right. But in this case, they can afford it. Okay. <laughs> So they all meet up later at a cafe, and they're sort of celebrating their first mission. Avner is Carl, or a little more hesitant to celebrate necessarily, but Steve, being Steve, is mm-hmm. all very gung-ho about celebrating. He pulls up Roberts, dancing with him. Yeah, they dance to My Girl by the Temptations in Italian over the radio. <laughs> While Carl is talking about... And this is like another stereotype about Jews is that we t- constantly bring up things from the Bible, like at the drop of a hat. <laughs> but he, he brings up the Exodus story and how God mm-hmm. chastised the angels for celebrating the deaths of Egyptians. Mm-hmm. To which Eric, to which Avner says, yes, but they were celebrating because the message was delivered not to mess with the Jews. <laughs> in the words of Daniel Craig. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, I will say, I really like I, watching this again. I really appreciated like Daniel Craig brought just a humor into it that wasn't necessarily there with the other characters. Well, certainly he's he's not like down in the dumps all the time. Yeah, yeah. But he he came off as more like scary than funny. <laughs> okay, maybe he's like always yeah. going for a fight. True, true. Yeah. But maybe maybe that's just me approaching <laughs> the movie with too much seriousness rather than just trying maybe. to approach with like a a level. Mm-hmm. attitude yeah this is where we meet uh in we, get, we go to paris and mm-hmm. we meet louis who's played by matthew almerich who is in quantum of solace as the bad guy a daniel yes. craig james bond film so like as soon as i saw him and i heard that i was like dom he's dominic green and i was wondering and i don't know if, i've only seen the first part of this so far so i don't know if he daniel craig ever get a scene together i don't think so no pity so- uh, the only thing I remember about Quantum of Solace is the part where James Bond makes him drink oil. Yep, <laughs> which is like at the very end of that. Apparently, Louis can provide information about um, who, about the names. It says he can locate pretty much anyone. Mm-hmm. And as they're talking, they're like shopping in a market that's like right near the Eiffel Tower. Right. Nodding towards that apparently how Avner is good at cooking. So there was also a part here where Louis is like, a Frenchman and a Jew will be negotiating forever. Hmm. To which Avner says, I'm not a Jew. Which I ah. thought was interesting because it hmm. means he's traveling undercover. And then later hmm. we learn he's using some other name. Yeah. So apparently Louis, his organization, they say they don't work with governments. Right. And so he wants to make sure that Avner is not representing a government or anything. They work with people who are non-government. Right. 
Which is like, I still can't believe that these guys are buying that Avner doesn't actually work for Israel. <laughs> but, but whatever. Okay. So he's like, it's not just his group, it's his family. He says, That's right. Confining. That's right. Yeah. So meanwhile, there's another hijacking of a plane that results in the surviving terrorists from the Munich massacre being released. Mm-hmm. And they're brought home to a hero's welcome in Tripoli, Libya. Hmm. And Steve makes a crack. They don't have any qualms about rejoicing in reference to the previous scene where right. they were rejoicing about the death of Zwader. And Steve, Steve wants to go to Tripoli to go after these guys. And Alvin replies that they went to Arab countries and they stick to the names on the list. Mm-hmm. We also have a part, this is maybe a little more political we want to get into, but they interview one of the terrorists. He says, mm, right. we've made our voice heard and we cut to Ham Shari which is one of the names on the list, kind of mansplaining. Well, what he means is that people are listening to us now, but we don't mm-hmm. condone attacks on civilians. Yes, and so Hamshari is talking to Robert, and he's interviewing Hamshari. And mm-hmm. he goes and he says, can we? Can I use your phone? I need to call my editor. And as he goes over to the phone, he's like tracing the outline of it, looking at the specs on the bottom. Yep. And um, Hamshari's daughter comes in and starts playing the piano. Mm-hmm. So this is this is such a move from Robert. It's awesome because he gets to know like the layout. He finds where the mm-hmm. phone is, what kinds of phones. But that's something that they talk about in the book is that so there's two ways to hide if you're a terrorist, and one is you like literally hide, like mm-hmm. like Osama bin Laden hides in a compound in Abbottabad for mm-hmm. twenty years. But the other way is you hide in plain sight, where you just pretend. You just you have like a cover as like uh like in this case like a spokesperson for the PLO and mm-hmm. it's not knowledge that you work with terrorist organizations. But the downside right. of that is that if he doesn't have any bodyguards, he doesn't even he barely even has like a lock on his door. Mm-hmm. So and so once they come for him, he doesn't have a lot in the way of defenses. Yeah. So we see Carl sneak into the house with Robert and Avner mm-hmm. and they plant a bomb into the phone. So they have a little transmitter. A green light will go on once the phone is picked up, and then they can press activate the bomb. First of all, they they like plan the explosive in the phone, and then they like stand there and have a conversation <laughs> <laughs> about two mm-hmm. topics. The first is like how the phone bomb works, which mm-hmm. we as the audience need to know. Yeah, but and then second of all, they're like, is this really a right? Is this really the right thing to do? Like, mm-hmm. is this, does this guy really deserve to die? And someone's like, well, he he organizes terrorism. And someone's like, well, is organizing enough? And then they're like, well, what about evidence? And he's like, well, talk to headquarters if that's you want. Well, oh, meanwhile, that's right. yeah. but I'm like, don't have this. Con- Why are you having this conversation here? <laughs> I was. It's probably for expediency because they don't want to have Spielberg doesn't have to film. You know, cut to another scene where they would have had this. So it's 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 a it's a screenwriting cheat basically. I know this is so funny that it's like. Can you imagine if the guy came back while they were like just standing there having this inane conversation? <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Um. Yeah. So they explain that, and then it's time to actually make the attempt. Mm-hmm. So we have the wife and the daughter leaving the apartment. Mm-hmm. And Carl is calling the phone, the uh, phone bomb from a payphone. Yes. And a truck pulls up as right as they're about to start. Like he's mm-hmm. already dialed the phone, and a truck pulls up between the car and the apartment. So Avner like gives Carl the signal with his hat. No, don't go through it yet. Carl hangs up, mm-hmm. and Avner's worried that it's gonna that the truck is gonna block the signal. So he runs over to the car. 
which bad operational security because then you're giving away that you know these people when so if anyone who is looking for you would see that yeah it's like what are you doing you're like hanging around on the corner mm-hmm. run over to the car run back hang around some mm-hmm. more so he's working yeah, but but then like robert reassures him no this is you know it's 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 enough it'll be fine it's a very strong transmitter but mm-hmm. as this is happening they don't notice that the daughter goes back into the house yeah and so Avner goes back to his post he gives a signal and carl calls the phone and the daughter picks up the phone and so carl as soon as he hears the daughter's voice his face goes white he like hangs up the phone and i think what does Avner see the daughter in the window I, I think he, he I think he sees yeah. Carl running. Oh, and, and yeah. puts two and two together. Oh, okay. So, yeah. so this one was in all the previews for the movie. This was in like oh, all the trailers. Okay. This part, yeah. And as this is happening, you know, Robert's right about to put the key into the transmitter and press it, <laughs> and they stop him just in time. And it's like this is very tension. But I was like, oh god, they're gonna kill the daughter, aren't they? Nah, unfortunately, even Spielberg wasn't willing to go that far yeah. this time. It reminded me of the part of the American Sniper, the trailer in the American Sniper, when he like has the kid in his gun sights. I didn't actually see the movie. I never saw it, no. But the trailer reminds me of the same thing. But also, yeah. it's like, you'd think this would be avoidable because the telephone's in front of a window. Mm-hmm. Just get someone across the street with binoculars and be like, yup, it's him, let's kill him, click. Well, and this will come into it later on. Right. In the next, in the next <laughs> attempt. So yeah. they do it again. Which I'm surprised, like, no one else has noticed these two guys, like you said, running back and forth between this car. People don't notice stuff. Especially in Europe, where they, like, mind their own business. Mm. So, they do it again. He's, you know, make sure the daughter's out of the, out of the house. Blow mm-hmm. the place. But... And this time it works great. Yeah. Well, almost sort of. great. <laughs> so, we find, so, we hear from Carl that Hamshar is in the hospital. They're not sure how injured he is. And we find that there have been reprisals in the... Israeli embassy in London and in, mm-hmm. and in Israel itself. So so there's a couple good quotes here where Avner mm-hmm. is like, so shooting people kills them, but bombs terrify them. Mm-hmm. 9-11 parallel. Mm-hmm. We're the same as the terrorists. Think about it, man. But then also, I think it's Carl is like, now we have a dialogue. We mm-hmm. blow up right. them, yeah, that they was... blow up us, and it goes all over Europe. Find out Avner's on the phone with Carl. Carl's like, "Where are you?" And Avner says, "I'm in New York. I'm following the lead." Yep. And then we cut to uh, Avner's back in Israel, actually, mm-hmm. and his wife's giving birth. Yes. And his mother is there and is talking, and they have more discussions about his father. Right. And then we see, you know, his wife has given birth. He's holding his daughter, and says that you know I've set up a place for you in Brooklyn because I, I don't know when the next time I'm going to be able to come back to Israel yes. is. And his wife is and like not like, having it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's really the end of the discussion. We don't actually find out if she goes to Brooklyn or not. At least in this scene, we don't find out. Yeah, I should say that for the purposes of this episode, we're only covering the first half, so we only watch the first half right. of the movie. So uh, don't give anything away. <laughs> so then we go to tracking Hussein uh, Alchir, who's in Cyprus. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he's working with the oh he's the KGB contact for the PL for the PL or for Black September rather. Yes. And so Robert designs a bomb that's supposed to go off when Alchir gets in bed. So you and know what this reminded me of? What's that? Mag- MacGyver. <laughs> All right. Did you, did you ever watch a lot of MacGyver? I watched some. Yeah. The old one, of course. Yeah, not not one. that new one. So I just re- I didn't watch a lot of it, but I did watch one episode where apparently he has an arch enemy. Oh. 
Okay. MacGyver does. Who's like evil MacGyver. <laughs> and I don't remember the arch enemy's name, but there's a part where he rigs a bed to explode. Huh. Okay. But it's not like this. It's it's more like it's just like a usual pressure bomb that will uh, go off. So MacGyver like sits on it and hears the clack and then has to figure out how to get out of it. I won't tell you how he gets out of it. But he's like <laughs> rigging a who rigs a bomb or bed to explode? What kind of diabolical person would do that? <laughs> so it reminds me of this. Because they don't want the same thing to happen as the last time, Avner checks into the room next door to make sure the target is actually in bed. There's no one else there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have a good part where Steve and Robert are in a car outside mm-hmm. the hotel, and Steve is singing Papa Was a Rolling Stone. Mm-hmm. And then Robert's like, shut up, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that night, the KGB drops off Alchir, and Avner's on the balcony, Mm-hmm. And he sort of makes eye contact with the newlyweds who are uh, like next door to the targets uh, to Alchir's room. Yes, and ends up actually chatting with Alchir. Well, the, the newlyweds aren't just newlyweds; they're one of them's an Israeli. Yeah, that's right. Actually, yeah. they, they might both be Israelis, which which doesn't help. And then well, I think it was like they said it was like a mixed marriage, and that's why they were getting married in Cyprus. Well, it's a mixed religious marriage. They oh, could both gotcha. be Israeli citizens. I sure, sure. wasn't paying close enough attention to remember. Yeah. So, but while he's talking to Alchir, that same couple like slams. They are into going the wall at it. They're going at it. But in the background, if you notice, Avner like jumps. Oh, she, like jumps I didn't across even see that. the balcony. Yeah, which I like that. It's like a detail. It shows that he's jumpy. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, because he's about to blow this guy up. Yes. And as they're chatting, you know, basically says, hope you are a deep sleeper because these these two are going to be going at it for hours. Right. And then also, Alchir is like, don't expect to get any sleep tonight. Mm-hmm. So it's like, uh-oh, mm. what if he doesn't sleep because they need him mm. to sleep because his bed is what's going to be used to kill him. Mm-hmm. But of course, he, he gets in his bed. So this was a little unclear to me. How did how does Avner know that he's in bed? Because he looks like he's not he's not out on the balcony watching. The short answer is that he doesn't. So okay. Avner sees him, take his shoes off, gets into bed, mm-hmm. turns light off, and then Avner goes into his room, waits for like forty five seconds, then uh-huh. turns his light off, which is the signal to to detonate. See, because we get that shot of Alchir going into his bed. So I, like part, I had, I had to rewind this. I was like, wait, did he? Did they install like a double, like a one way glass mirror into this room? Did he, how did he know? No, so it, was, it wasn't clear to me. Okay. Yeah, no, nothing that advanced, just a little bit of guesswork. Okay, so Avner turns off the light, which is the signal mm-hmm. to Robert. So the green light on their transmitter has already gone on, so the bomb is triggered, and then mm-hmm. they can blow the switch. And when the bomb goes off, it goes off. And oh, Avner's yeah. knocked to the ground. The newlyweds knocked store or blinded. Part of like the ceiling has collapsed. The, the, both walls and walls in both directions are blown out. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's like crazy. So Carl goes running in to get Avner out, mm-hmm. and that's Avner all he goes does. to rescue the like the two newlyweds who are like blinded. Mm-hmm. They try to get to the exit somewhere, and they just get out of there. But they do make as clean to get away as they could mm-hmm. under the circumstances. Yeah. And Robert explains that it's not his fault that the bomb is so powerful. Someone changed the markings on the components that he used to make the bomb. And this is where we find out that apparently Louis has provided the explosives, and that's they're right. like, "Why are we trusting Louis with all this?" And they realize as they're having this discussion, wait, who are, whose fishing boat is this? It's Louis. It was arranged by Louis, yeah. Yep. 
And they they make the point that they really don't know Louis at all. And they don't know who. Mm-hmm. They don't know basically why are they trusting him with all this stuff. Yeah. So then in the next scene, Louis confront or rather Avner confronts Louis about it. Louis with his dog. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Louis denies that he's like maybe the problem is with your bomb maker. Mm-hmm. He also calls Avner Mister Smooch or Smutch. Or something. I didn't catch that. No. Some like he calls him a name. Okay. Oh, as in like his cover like name. A, like, a, like a cover name that was like some weird kind of German. I thought it was like that. a weird nickname. <laughs> nope. Uh, no, it's, it's just a name, but it's like an explanation would have been nice. Hmm. But whatever. Well, I think there was like a brief like, and it's, it's if you miss it, you don't really get it. It's like whoever was making the introduction to Louis, like, what should I call you today? And then it was like Avner gives whatever that name was. But I okay. didn't catch what the name was. Yeah. yeah, it's it's quick. So so Louis is like, don't work for government and don't lie to me or I'll be very upset. He gives Avner three more names. Kamal Adwan, Kamal Nasser, and Abu Yusuf. And says that they're all in Beirut. Mm-hmm. And so we have a scene where the team is meeting with Ephraim. Steve is like, Abu Yusuf is like number three in the Palestinian leadership. We need to go after these guys. And Ephraim's like, no, stay out of Arab countries. The army will take care of it. But then... Avner is like, but if the army goes after him, then our contact will know that we told you about him and they won't work with us again. Mm-hmm. So it's a real conundrum. Yeah, so there, there's a negotiation and basically he'll, like, Ephraim wants to know who the source is and Avner mm-hmm. won't tell him and he says, alright, you know, let us, co- let us go to uh, Beirut and we'll use we, you know, we'll get all the rest of the names and then we'll tell you who he is. There was a funny part here where Ephraim's like, I, Avner, I order you to tell me who it is. <laughs> and I think it's Carl's like, you can't order him to do anything. He doesn't, he doesn't work, work, for, work you. for you. And Avner's like, I work, for, I work for a box, a, a Swiss box. Yeah. He's like, you want that box to keep filling up with money? You'll do what I say. So that was so like kind of a crazy yeah. scene. So they really like resolve what their deal is, at least not in this moment. But then we cut to the dock in Beirut. There's all these commandos who are arriving by speedboat. Mm-hmm. And you see Avner, Steve, and Robert are there waiting mm-hmm. for them. Come out, The commandos get changed from their wetsuits, and a few of them put on women's yes. clothing. There's also a quick part here where there's this guy who looks really familiar. Maybe I can find him on IMDb. He, he like introduces himself to Avner in this like throwaway scene because we never see him again. But he mm-hmm. introduces himself as Ehud Barak. Okay. Ehud Barak went on to become Prime Minister of Israel in I did not know the that. early 2000s. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. Yes. Oh, wonder if that's accurate. Wait, is, oh, that they actually met each other? Yeah. Could or, be. And that he took part in this. Okay. So, right. so someone's like, this is a lot of effort just to shoot three guys. Steve. Yes. Steve's the one who says that. <laughs> of course he does. He loves talking about shooting people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so uh, the ones who are women wearing women's clothing are you know, go into the compound first, mm-hmm. like to distract the soldiers. And once like they get close enough to realize that they're men in women's clothing, they shoot the guards. Everyone else gets into the compound, following them. Mm-hmm. And there's this crazy shootout throughout the compound. Kill a bunch, like one of them who's underneath a door. Like they can't find him in the room, so he's underneath the door, and they shoot him. Yeah, they don't just kill them. Is they, like, pull yeah. the door off him, and the guy just lies there. They hold up a picture, he shoots him, and then they just shoot him. 
Mm. Like all three of the guys are unarmed and they just mow them down. Yeah, and the one they even killed uh, one of them his wife because they were like right next to him. Yeah, remember that it'll come up. It'll come up later. Okay, and they're like they're about to kill the son who's coming up to them too, and like Avner stops him from killing son. Yeah. By the way, Avner's hat in this scene is ridiculous. <laughs> is it a hat that is like a bandana thing or? Well, it's. Whatever it is that's on top of his head is really stupid looking, in my opinion. <laughs> but yeah, so, uh-huh. so he tells them to leave the kid alone, and they all got to get out of there. Mm-hmm. And But then these other militants, people with guns, gunmen, mm-hmm. we'll call them, yeah. show up. And there's this like epic gun battle mm-hmm. outside of the compound. There's a part where Avner and his team ambush the mm-hmm. bad guys and shoot them from behind. So they're caught in a crossfire, and they just take them out and escape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and after they escape, Louis meets up with Avner again, mm-hmm. and Avner's telling him, I wasn't in Beirut, and he's like, yes, but apparently the Israeli army was, or so every major news paper tells me. So this part doesn't make any sense. No? So he's like, the Israeli's army's there, it, it's, mm-hmm. he very clearly doesn't believe Avner mm-hmm. when he says that Avner doesn't work for government, but he's like, but come meet my papa and the rest of the family anyway. I think it's supposed to be more of a threat. Like, it's, it's more of a threat. My father wants to meet you. And this is where we find out that apparently Louis is not in charge of this operation or his mm-hmm. family operation. It's his father who's like, everyone reports to everyone, someone. Basically. Everyone reports to someone. That's true. Yeah. So he gets brought to, like, and he's blindfolded when he gets in the car. And, like, he almost doesn't get in the car, actually. It's yes. to run after the car for a little bit. Yep. So he gets brought to this mansion in the French countryside. He's brought in and like it's this whole family affair, basically. There's like at least ten kids there. Mm-hmm. And grandkids. Yes. And we find that Papa is played by Michael Lunsdale, who is Hugo Drax in Moonraker, which means that a Bond villain is the son of another Bond villain. <laughs> so I'm like, as soon as I heard that voice, it's I'm like, holy crap, that's Hugo Drax. I mean, it's gotta be intentional. Maybe not intentional, but well, I meant the Hugo Drax guy. But uh, I guess that actor's probably been in a bunch of stuff, right? He's a French actor, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, but he, he definitely looked familiar to me, but I couldn't place from where. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so we find out that well, this again, this is all to do with Avner's cooking skills, and so Papa, because we don't really find out what his name is, he's just known as Papa, right? So I'm gonna that's how I keep referring to him. Mm-hmm. Asks Avner to help him cook. And they're talking, they're really talking more about food than intel at this point. Yes. So they're all, you know, gathering grapes and uh, everything else. And we find out later that apparently, so they all sit down to dinner and we find out that Papa was, uh, blew up trains during the war. And we get how, you know, this thing about how the Vichy were replaced by the Gaullists and the Nazis were replaced by the Americans. They're all the same and he doesn't trust governments. Yeah. And then, well, I guess she's like his daughter is like, not another war story. <laughs> We also, just going back to the cooking scene, there's a part mm-hmm. where Papa says to Avner, we're similar. We have butcher's hands, but gentle souls. Mm. So I'm like, I'm not sure how gentle Avner's soul is, but that's for <laughs> or uh, maybe someone else how to gentle decide. Papa's soul is, really. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. So, but, so we felt like we have, you know, they're sitting down to this big dinner and, you know, Papa asks Louis to say grace. And... Louis, his his uh, prayer, like he, actually first, Louis is like, why doesn't our guest say grace? And you see Avner start to do the sign of the cross very awkwardly, which I thought was amusing since he's a Jew. Yeah, I mean, well, I thought maybe he might get found out because he might reveal that he doesn't know how to say yeah, yeah. grace. 
But then so and Lu- Papa's like, no, you, Louis, you say grace. And he t- says this ridiculous prayer about how give us good customers who, who obey contracts and understand the meaning of, of deals and everything. And then Yeah, it's uh, like something out of the Ferengi religion. <laughs> Louis's mom is like pissed off. Like, I will not have my grandchildren hearing this blasphemy. And you get this whole back and forth between Louis and Papa and like, like Louis's sister, I think it was. So family like, dinners are so awkward, yeah. <laughs> especially when you're a guest at one. And especially when that, you know, that family is dealing illegally in intelligence. Yep. And when it comes down to is Papa sympathizes with Avner as someone who you know, understands the meaning of contract, but also understands that this is what is, needs to be done for your, to support your family. And yep. so it says that you continue working together, but no more infractions. Basically, it seems like just to piss off Louis even more as they're getting in the car. He says to Avner, you could have been my son. And you just get this close up on Louis, like looking pissed off. He's like, but you're not my son. Remember that. We'll do business, but you aren't family. Yeah, I don't even know why, why you had to do that. Um, why why do you need to, to go there? to put Louis in his place, because Louis getting all these heirs around him, basically. That's true. So Avner says, I still want Sal- Salome. Salome. It sounds like salami. Yeah. Salame. Uh, I think it's Ali how Hassan Salome. Yeah. yeah. Louis says he's untouchable. But I'll give you Black September's KGB contact, who is much tougher than his predecessor. Mm-hmm. Because, so the new contact is Zayed Muchasi. Yeah, so we find out this is the person who replaced uh, Alchir yes. as the KGB contact. And he's much tougher and more hardline, which again goes back to the movie, what the movie's trying to get at with the whole war on terror thing is that, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, you kill a terrorist in the short term, but what and if the guy someone else? Yeah. Even worse, right. As this is happening, apparently he, the guy is in Athens, so he asks Louis for a safe house in Athens. And that is where we end with part one. Yes. The explosions are mostly over. <laughs> now it's time for the slow part of the movie. <laughs> All right, so shall we go into uh, spy fact versus spy fiction? Yeah, so I have a lot of spy fact All versus right, take fiction. take us into it. And uh, so you better buckle up. And here's a brief, like, warning. This is a little bit of viol- There's a little bit of violence in this part. I mean, there's been had plenty of violence mm-hmm. so far, but this gets kind of ugly. So, so, so our source, as always, is Vengeance, the True Story of a, an Israeli Counterterrorism Team by George Jonas. Mm-hmm. And it even says on the front of the book, the inspiration for Steven Spielberg's Munich. So hmm. presumably the screenwriter re- used this book as a reference. So we already talked about that accountant. Mm-hmm. It, it, it led me to think that they were probably reading this. Okay, so here we go. <laughs> so during the invasion of the Olympic Village, wrestling coach Moshe Weinberger punched out a terrorist and knocked him unconscious before being shot in the face. Ooh. So that was the guy who got shot in the face. Okay. Not, not only did he hit a terrorist, but he knocked him out cold. So then, you remember the part where the terrorists were shooting at a guy and he was like running, an athlete while he was like running away and he yeah. got away. Uh-huh. So in real life, while he was shooting, Weinberger punched another one in the face, <sighs> fractured wow. his mandible, knocked him out. But then the terrorist shot him several times in the chest Oof. and killed him. Wow. So this is the ugly one. So do you remember the part, the guy with like the mutton chops who got it, got a knife? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He could have gone out the window, but he got a knife and came back. So his name was Yosef Romano, as in Ray Romano. No oh. relation as far as okay. I know. But it said he stabbed a terrorist in the forehead, but didn't mm. but didn't kill him, I don't think. Oh, okay. okay. So I wasn't he sure stabbed him in the forehead with a knife, and then another one like f- shot him with a full AK-47 burst at close range. Oh, 
And then when rescue workers removed Romano's body the next day, it came apart at the waist. Oh. Ooh. AK-47s are known to be able to do that. Oh. that. Hence the warning from before. I see. Ouch. That's ugly. Okay. And then, but that, that's it for the for the extreme violence from, from now on. So, okay. So then after the massacre, there was a remembrance ceremony in the Olympic Village, and one involved lowering the flags of all countries to half-mast for one afternoon. But that is until 10 Arab countries protested and the Germans obediently returned their flags to the top of the walls. Hmm. Nice guys. Both Israelis and Palestinians noticed that the world hurried back to the Olympic Games pretty much before the blood had even dried. Huh. I was I actually was wondering about that. Like, did that just put a halt to the Olympics or did that just sort of happen and then people mourned and then it went on? It, it went on. Like the game, the games kept uh, going. They didn't cancel them. There you go. Here's a longer quote from the accountant who is quite a character in the book. I want receipts for every penny you spend on duty. You have to take a taxi. Fine. You bring me a receipt. And if you take a taxi, you had better need it for the job because I'll ask you why you took it. When you can take the subway, take the subway, take the bus like everybody else or walk. You spend money. If I'm not satisfied you needed it for the job, I take it off your pay. Don't misunderstand me. You need it for the job. Take it. Your job is special. You are not. By me, you're not a hero, whatever you do. You bring Hitler in here in handcuffs, I'll say, where are the receipts? And was the long distance call private to your girlfriend? Because it comes off your pay if it was. I say oh, this man. because some of you guys think you're working for the Baron Rothschild. You're working for Israel. And when it comes to money, you're working for me. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that, okay, if, if, that whole thing had been in the movie. That might have gone on for my favorite quote. <laughs> I know, right? He's quite, but I'm like, does he say that to every single agent that he... Probably. Like, this is probably his, like, because... I mean, he's an accountant, so he doesn't necessarily go out of the field or do anything else. This is his shining moment. So he has this whole speech prepared for every single off-the-books um, operation. And I'm like, how could they get receipts for, like, all of the crazy stuff that they do? I mean, okay, I mean, uh, probably just write down... Like, it's at least a record of what it is that they're spending it on and... So, I mean, they can always, they can always, because it's a handwritten receipt, they can always doctor it, but still. Can you, then, yeah. Can yeah. you imagine, like, James Bond or uh, Ethan Hunt being like, I need a receipt for that? <laughs> Half of the times when they're eating something, they're, like, something, like, the bad guy runs away and they have to go chase him. That's true. Avner <laughs> uh, makes a joke that if enemy spies wanted to find Mossad agents, they just have to look for whoever picks up receipts at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So, Wiles Waiter, the poet, the guy who translated 1001 mm -hmm. Nights. So, according to the book, and the book is the, I know we say fact versus fiction, but as I mentioned in the Microdot episode, who knows what's the truth? Right. Masada had reason to believe that Zwaite was one of the major coordinators of terrorism and organizers in Europe. They claim he was a man responsible for a hijacking in 1968, tried to blow up another LL plane in 1972. The movie doesn't mention this. You decide whether or not you believe the Mossad at their work. Ephraim makes a political statement, sort of, at one point. He says, you're not going to hit a person because he thinks Palestinians should have a home. Hell, I think the Palestinians should have a home. You hit him because he blows up school children or Olympic athletes. All right. So Ephraim comes, off as, comes across as like kind of a hardliner in the movie, but in the book, he's a little bit more reasonable. Mm. Now, here are some deviations from the movie. In real life, the hits go really well. So yeah. when, when they take okay. out Hamshari... 
they don't almost blow up his daughter. Oh, okay. So that, that is that is not a Spielberg fictionalization. Yes. Okay. Um. They they watched him. They they watched his family leave. They watched his mistress show up. They watched his mistress leave. His <laughs> of course. Yes. He kept a schedule, including the mistress, mm-hmm. and then so they were able to hit him. The bomb is not as big as it's depicted in the movie. Avner described a shimmering of air along the wall and then patterns uh, of cracks on the window panes. A few people no. were like, what's up? Huh, but, but not it. like the you know shattering of the glass. Uh, yeah, okay. it's not like this whole this whole thing. So then same thing with Alchir, the guy with the with the trapped bomb and, and the bed. The bomb is bigger. George described it as a tremendous explosion, but like mm-hmm. it didn't take out the walls and like Avner didn't almost die. Mm-hmm. He okay. wasn't, I don't think he was even in the hotel. They just hit it and then drove mm-hmm. away. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about what's called this Le Group, Louise people and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, they did basically everything for the Mossad agents. They got them their guns, really? they got them their bombs, they got them the places to live, they got them their uh-huh. cars. They were like completely dependent on Le Group to do everything. And they didn't really know who they were. That's right. That is terrifying. <laughs> Well, it's the nature of like undercover underworld work. I mean, I maybe maybe they could have functioned without the group, but it, it would have taken mm. them a lot longer. They might not have mm. succeeded. True. But basically, they just gave the group money, and the group gave them whatever they wanted. And the way that the group operates, so Avner makes the point that agents, it's not like in movies where they like go skiing. They don't they don't travel by skiing or by hiking. They travel on airlines. They travel on trains. They travel on ships. They use normal ways to get around. Right. They don't like fight their way or sneak across the border typically. But because they use these methods of transportation, there are always people there. So like like porters, custom mm-hmm. agents, travel agents, flight attendants. So once you know that agents tend to go to a few major cities, you uh-huh. just pay people. It's like, hey, is there a known foreigner coming to stay in this hotel? Tell me who he is. Get hmm. a, you know, All send right. me a picture of him. So that's what the group does. Okay. And their motivation is that they don't really want, ter- they don't want terrorists or secret agents running around Europe, killing each other. Mm-hmm. But their logic is that the sooner that they kill each other, the sooner they'll stop killing each other. So we're going <laughs> to help them kill each other. And that way it'll be over soon. Except they'll just replace one person with another. I'm not saying I agree with their logic. I'm just saying <laughs> that's the logic. I know. I'm, I'm just arguing with them. That's yes. like, yeah. Okay, because they even point out that exact thing in the movie, right? But it is true that they weren't ideological. They're as happy to help a Mossad agent as they are a PLO guy. Which, and I'm, uh, this is like because I well, just to go into this is not my favorite quote, but I like one of his quotes is Louis' quote: "The uh, where is it? We are ideologically compromised, uh, promiscuous. We love everyone, we hate everyone. I get my feelings confused, and it's funny when I was re- heard him say this." He makes a really similar speech in Quantum of Solace. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Let me, let me see if I can find it quickly. Oh, here we are. You should know something about me and the people I work with. We deal with the left or the right, with dictators or liberals. If the current president had been more agreeable, I wouldn't be talking to you. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. Yeah. So when, he, when I heard Louis say that line, and it's, he, he doesn't change his voice or anything, he looks exactly the same. I'm like, ooh. This, this definitely had to have gotten that role. Maybe. 
Okay, so I just have a couple of a couple of things. So yeah. first, yeah. This, is a, this is a heavy topic, but nice. while he's flying into Europe, Avner has a thought, which I will mm -hmm. share. He says, Europe, where Jews may have fitted, but couldn't live without being massacred once or twice every century, and the last time very nearly for good. So if Europeans were now unhappy about Israelis and Arabs turning their great cities into battlegrounds, that mm. was unfortunate. They should have worried about it earlier. Mm. Wow. The movie reminded me of this because mm -hmm. you have like Rome, which is like this peaceful city and it's getting bombed. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Israelis and Arabs weren't the only ones bombing it in the 1970s. There were plenty of anarchists and right wing groups and so on. Right. But it's still interesting that it's like the secret war taking place in Europe. Yeah. Wow. Avner did sneak in Israel to see his child being born. That's true. Okay. Oh, okay. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Last thing. So in the meeting with Papa, the leader of the group, Avner he told Avner these things that Avner couldn't believe he believed it because it's things right out of Hollywood movies. Like Papa actually <laughs> believed that there were mysterious individuals hiding out somewhere plotting to take over the world. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they left that part out of the movie. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that's one of the things where it's like, if you put in that movie, it would sound like it's a Hollywood line, but it's not... I mean, I guess it makes total sense that a guy who's part of a secret organization would believe that there were other secret organizations even more powerful than his own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, that is it for spy fact versus yeah. fiction. And we'll we'll so we're going to hold off on doing our ratings until next next segment, just because we want to do a rating of the whole movie, not of just this part. That's correct. Uh, do we? Do you have a favorite quote from the first half of the movie? I do. Uh, it's from Ephraim. We deposit money from a fund that doesn't exist into a box we don't know about in a bank we've never set foot in. We can't help you because we've never heard of you before. Nice. Mm -hmm. Okay, and mine is, and we're going to bring this joke back one last time. All right. My favorite quote is, I want receipts. <laughs> I mean, I have a lot of other good quotes too, but they already came up in the episode, so mm -hmm. no, no need to repeat them. I should have saved them. <laughs> Well, that was good. Nice job, Christian. I enjoyed that one. And so that is it for Munich Part 1. We will see you in two weeks for Munich Part 2. You can find us on social media at the SpyFi Guys on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Until next time, I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. And we are the SpyFi Guys, signing off. Thank you for listening to the SpyFi Guys. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. The theme song from this podcast is Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Films, books, and television shows reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.